Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. I want you to turn, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 13. book of beginnings sets the stage for everything that we come to know to our guests I say welcome thank you for being in the house of the Lord with us today we certainly don't take that for granted and to our church family thank you so much for your worship for your attentiveness book of Genesis chapter 13 We're going to have a little bit of a lengthy reading today, verses 1 through 12. The Bible says, And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And Lot also which went with him had flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, "There, let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. Before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. In verse 12, Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. And so just for a few moments this morning, I want to just talk to you about the place of the altar. And hopefully by the help of the Lord, by the end of this, it will all make sense and we'll have gained something from it. But would you just right now lay your Bibles down and lift your hands to heaven and let's pray and ask the Lord to come into this house, anoint us together. Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your mercy and your grace, and we thank you for your everlasting kindness toward us. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to let the anointing of the Holy Ghost rest in this place. 
upon every person, Lord, that sits before you. Anoint my mouth to speak it uh, the way that I feel it today. And I'm asking you to have your way. Let your spirit be felt and let your word be spoken. We give you praise for it, Lord Jesus, forever and ever. For you are worthy of all praise and all glory. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, you may be seated in the fear of the Lord. The place of the altar. If we could all be honest with ourselves this morning, we would have to say collectively that there are really two natures that live within us. We're born with an Adamic nature, yet breathed into by an eternal God and filled with his precious spirit. But there's still a constant standoff between the flesh and the spirit. There's a constant conflict between good and evil, carnality, spiritual mindedness. You see, if we could all be honest with ourselves today, we would have to admit that there is a real struggle and a constant attention that must be given to maintain a balance in our lives and the ever-present danger of slipping backwards, reverting into old tendencies, into old natures. Now, I know that God has delivered us from sin, and I know that I speak to people today, precious people of God that have been filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Ghost. Yet I know that there are mindsets in this world and that there is an attack of the enemy that we face on a daily basis. With every turn of every corner, temptation lurks, and around every bend, a roaring lion awaits to chance to pounce upon us. It's just the reality of the situation. That is not including the real physical threats that plague our society as, as, a, as a whole today. We're compassed about literally with wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, and disease. Now, my pr- purpose today is not to frighten. My purpose today is not to bring doom and gloom. It's just where we are as a, as a nation, as a world. It's just the world that we live in. But these things, they should not frighten us. They should not arrest us so much so that we can't live. You see, if we really believe what we really believe, it should make us more vigilant than we ever have been. It should make us more concerned with our ever-changing atmosphere. You see, we have to be sober and alert in this final hour more than we ever have been before, both to natural events and both to the spiritual wickedness that plagues our world. If the, if the natural world is in fact a mirror image of what is going on in the spirit, I stand here today to say it is high time that people get a grip. It's time for families to bind together like never before. It's time for the church to become ever fixed on the, on the present task at hand. And it's time for people to wake up. You see, the perilous times that we're warned about are not coming, but they are upon us. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5, Paul tells Timothy this, Know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, 
truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good. If that's not the world that we live in today, I don't know what is. It goes on to say traitors, high-minded, heavy, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. In the last five, chapter five, or verse five, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. See, he wasn't just talking about sinners and in the world. He's talking about the church, the umbrella of church folk. This is the list of those that could be in that, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. He said from such turn away. You see, deceit is on the rise and the spirit of compromise is all all running rampant in the world that we live in. And so it's no wonder that Paul admonishes again to put on the whole armor of God. He said, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor. He said it again, the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I don't know about you, but I don't want to walk out of my front door today without putting on that armor. I feel like my job is a safe place. I don't feel like this. Uh, it, it, there's there's anything that I would have to physically worry about. But there are spirits that we will come against in this world, and we can't afford to leave out of our domain into this world without putting on the whole armor of God. Not half, not some, but the whole. You see, Paul, he didn't mince his words. And he didn't beat around a proverbial bush when he makes his degree. No, he didn't soften his stance to appease one group of people. He was bold and he was very point blank when it came to his instruction, not to some, but to all. There is a real enemy. There are real pitfalls. And there are real consequences to choices that we make. I'll say it again. We we have to be sober. We have to think sober. We have to act sober to combat against the wiles of our enemy and to keep the forefront our mandate and our responsibility. You see, complacency kills more people than you would believe. Asleep at the wheel is the epitaph of so many that have fallen. David said, my, have the mighty have fallen. That's why he said, God, lighten mine eyes. Lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me 
rejoice when I am moved. I've got to stay in a state of absolute sobriety. There is no downtime. There is no time to relax. We are in the last days. We can't, we can't sit back and rest upon only what we know. We've got to stay sober. When I was in the army, it was drilled into us just a simple phrase. Stay alert. Stay alive. Stay alert. Stay alive. Brother Abbasol, you probably know about that. Stay alert. Stay alive. You see, it's up to me whether I survive. Of course, I've got men and brethren and brothers and sisters that will stand beside me and hold my hands up. Of course, I have people that will pray for me and that will lift me up in prayer. But it's up to me if I survive. i got to stay alert to stay alive. You see, I've got choices to make. So the question is, will I, will I keep my eyes fixed, and my mind fixed where it should be? Or will I allow myself to drift? Will I make the right choice? Or will I leave it all up to chance? Will it be the wide gate? Or will it be the narrow way? You see, there's a constant theme throughout the Word of God that we have to get a grip on. It's either one way or it's the other. There's only two masters. There's only two choices. And there's only two destinations. But the choice is up to me. A constant theme Choose you this day whom you will serve. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that thou and thy seed may live. You cannot serve God and mammon. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction and many there be that go in thereat because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life and few there be that find it two masters two choices and two destinations you see there are no in-betweens with God there are no gray areas as much as the world would like to paint our world gray and say that you can move in and out and vacillate in and out of one thing to another is simply a lie you see God is a God of absolutes and when he came to this earth robed in flesh he was still a God of absolutes throughout his ministry Throughout his time on this earth, robed in flesh, Jesus often spoke in parables about the kingdom of God. He often spoke about two kinds of people, two kinds of mindsets. 
You see, it was an either-or scenario. It was an either-or. One, one example of this that I find in the Scripture that I found quite interesting is the parable of the wheat and the tares. Matthew thirteen twenty four through 30 says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in a field. But while men slept, he, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the household came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good fruit in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while you gather up the tares, you root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together. Until the harvest, and in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into the barn. There's interesting facts that I found out about wheat and tares, and I believe it's the reason why Jesus uses this particular word concerning weeds. You see, tares in this particular instance are not just normal weeds in that they are not noticeably different from wheat. It's particularly in the early stages of their growth, they are sometimes indistinguishable. Yet when the wheat and the tear begin to mature, then they take on a more contrasting characteristic. You see, in the parable, the sowers ask if he would like to go and pull them up, but he told them no. Just leave them alone for right now and let them grow together. You see, it's these three reasons why I believe he said this. The wheat and the tare share similar characteristics, and at this point, you can't be completely sure which is which. They often share the same root. Thus, pulling the tare would cause premature damage to the wheat. But as time goes by, the two grow together. The wheat begins to bear fruit, causing the stalk to slightly lean one way or the other. And a natural separation begins to occur. I see that the spiritual significance here is that two sets of people can share striking similarities together, yet have very different outcomes. And so for just a few more minutes, I want to talk to you about two men and two mindsets and two outcomes. You see, Abram and Lot are very similar in so many ways. And this is a very similar story, very familiar, but certainly not old or outdated. You see, the Bible still holds truth, even in the Old Testament, that we need to live by today. It holds valuable truths that we can still live by in the 21st century. If they are written for our learning, then what can we learn from this? In this particular portion of Scripture, we find Abram, 
along with all of his house, along with Lot, returning from Egypt into the south between Bethel and Hai. In previous chapters, the Bible says that they have been to this part of the country before. They've traveled into Egypt because there was a famine in the land. While in Egypt, Abram sort of kind of bends the truth a little bit about his relationship with his wife. He tells the Pharaoh and the Egyptians that she's his sister. Pharaoh takes Sarah into the house, and he was plagued because of it. And so when he finds this out, he expels Abram out of Egypt, along with all his house, along with Lot. And so here we are in this point of the story. We have two men that are living side by side alongside of each other. Their lives are very similar, yet their end is very different. Now, it would be false to presume at this point that one is perfect and one is flawed that would cause this all to play out before us. But that could not be any further from the truth. You see, Abram has lied. Egypt always signifies going backwards. It always signifies a state of sinfulness. And so to think that one could be right and one could be wrong at this point would probably not be accurate. And if we were to go ahead in the story just a few chapters, we would come to realize that both men are equally as prone to making mistakes. Both of them are capable of making questionable decisions. Both of them are from the same country, brought out of the same place with a very similar past. Both of them live nomadic lives. Their wealth is in their herds and in their flocks. In fact, the Bible says that both of them had great wealth in silver and gold and flocks and herds. And so on the surface, at first glance, it would appear that everything is all right. But it's far from all right. At face value, it would appear that Lot is right there with Abram. Step for step. But hear me, that's only geographically. And that is soon going to change. You see, their possessions have now become a contention and a source of contention between their people. And now it's decision time. Abram suggests Lot choose his direction and he'll take what's left. Abram suggests Lot go in his way and then he'll take the opposite. Now we know that the decisions at this point, we've all read the story, we all know the outcome. It would, it would, it would be on my part, a bad on my part to assume that you did not know what happens in the end of this story. We know that their decisions at this point will shape and mold the rest of their life forever. Lot chooses to pitch his tent towards Sodom, and Abram takes the land of Canaan. And so with these two men 
living side by side with all of their similarities, how do we get two decisions that differ so greatly and two outcomes? The answer is not in their similarities, but it's in their differences. You see, Abram leads while Lot follows. Abram walks by faith while Lot walks by sight. Abram is generous while Lot is greedy. And Abram was spoken to directly by God and Lot seemingly has no relationship whatsoever. And then the lying underlying factor that is the most important out of all of this is that Abram builds altars and calls on the name of the Lord while Lot is never recorded doing any of that. Many similarities, yet striking differences. The weight of the similarities don't even come close to the weight of the differences. You see, it's in those differences that determine their outcome because they are the most important. Abram's relationship with the altar secures and promises his future. But lack of of relationship on the part of Lot seals his own fate. I don't wait to the end to show you some mystery. I tell you right now, it's all about the altar. It's all about the altar. You see, the altar always signifies sacrifice. One writer said it like this, religion or the proper mode of worshiping the divine being is the invention or institution of God himself. And sacrifice is the act and design is the essence of that religion. Without sacrifice, actually offered or implied, there never was, there never can be any religion. In other words, you cannot profess something you don't live and you can't live something that you are not willing to give yourself to. The Hebrew word mizbak, which we render altar, signifies properly a place of sacrifice. The root word zabak signifies simply to slay. You see, Abram built altars in his life. He literally built a place of sacrifice, and he lived a life that was sacrificial unto God. God called him out of the Ur of the Chaldees, away from everything that he ever knew. And he did not only hear, but he obeyed. You see, Lot, it is apparent that he's just long for the ride. It's apparent that he's just there. He never really bought into the vision that was given to Abram. Just drifted alongside of him perhaps even building on the blessing that was already on Abram's life. I just want to pause here and say this today, that we can come to church and we can clap our hands 
and we can lift our voices, but we never really buy in to what's being said and what's being done. We can come here and on the surface, we can look the part and we can take the part in semantics of corporate worship. We can sit under anointed preaching and we can reap benefits from others walk with God to an extent. But I'm here to tell you today, that won't keep you living off of someone else's relationship with God will not keep you. You can have all the appearances of outward holiness, but without that root in the inside of you, that firm foundation on the inside of your heart, that won't do you any good when it comes time to make those decisions. You see, you've got to have your own relationship. You've got to have your own revelation. And you've got to have your own experience with an altar. You've got to slay this flesh. And you've got to sow to the Spirit. We're not just brought out of the world just to be out of the world. Paul said, I'm separated unto the gospel. I'm not just separated to be separated. I'm not just doing this to be doing this, but I am separated unto something. I have let go of one, but I have embraced another. I have let go of one, but I have pulled my heart unto another. You've got to slay this flesh, and you've got to sow to the Spirit. You see, at some point, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your own cross and follow him. I believe that that's what this is that we have read. It's an example. It's an end sample. A picture of the difference of flesh and spirit. You see, the flesh will always, hear me, always, not sometimes, not some, some point, but always, here, now, and in the future, now and forever. The flesh will always take the easy road. The flesh will always take the path of least resistance, but the easy way is not always the right way. You see, your flesh will tell you, it's okay not to pray today. Your flesh will tell you, you don't need to fast. Your flesh will tell you, you don't need the word of God. You see, I walk into this place and other people can lift their hands and call on the name of the Lord and I can feel something on me. I can feel the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I can feel those 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 bumps come up on me. But that is not what it's all about. You can't live on someone else's revelation. You can't live on someone else's walk with God. You've got to have your own relationship with God your flesh will deceive you we don't walk by sight we don't walk by feeling we walk on the promises of the word of God I like what I feel in this place every time that I come in whether God is lifting us up or whether he's chastising us, I know that he loves me. And I like what I feel, but I can't let only what I feel determine my walk with God. 
You've got to get back to a place of the altar and die out to this flesh every day. Paul said, I die daily. He said, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. He said in Galatians 5 and 16 through 24, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you led, be led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. This is what, this is what flesh brings about. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But he doesn't stop there. It doesn't just end with that. He said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. You see, the manifest things of the flesh have an end. They have their destination. But the fruit of the Spirit says that there is no law. There is no limit to God's promises. There is no limit to what God can do in your life. See, sin, when it has done its work, brings about death. But God's Spirit brings life and life more abundant. You see, out of all the perils of this world... The biggest enemy that I have is myself. I know I'm not telling you anything that you don't already know, but I feel in my spirit that God is speaking expressly to men and women right here, right now. My biggest enemy is myself. And of all the perils in this world, they only have validity in my life if I give them validity in my life. You see, I will believe a lie and be damned if I receive not the love for the truth. James said, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. See, before the sin takes root, my eyes have already been in that direction. And my lust has already begun to draw me away. I've heard people say in times past, just look within yourself and you'll find the answer. 
just trust your conscience or your let your conscience be your guide. Our pastor has said this so many times. Just let's just say, look within yourself. Everything you need is within you. I say this only if you have the Holy Ghost. But even then, I can't just look within me because I don't have all the answers. I can't look within myself because I don't always know what to do. I've got to find my way back to the place of the altar. I've got to find my way back to the place of that altar and say, not my will, but thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. You see, that's what Jesus himself had to do. That's what Jesus had to do when he laid prostrate in the garden of Gethsemane and prayed, God, if it be possible, take this cup from me. But nevertheless, nevertheless, your will be done in my life. If Jesus had to lay prostrate in the garden of Gethsemane with sweat and blood pouring from him, God of the universe robed in flesh if he had to do this how in the world how in the world do I think I can get by without it if Jesus had to fight this flesh how in the world can I exempt myself from the same process And so the reason is this there will be choices that will come my way and I can't trust my flesh to make the decision that's just plain and simple there's going to be real life choices that's not going to only affect me but it's going to affect my family and the future of those around me and there must be a foundation in my life that I can rely on you see Lot lifted up his eyes and chose the plain of Jordan, an exceptionally fertile and overlooking area of Sodom and Gomorrah at the tip of the Dead Sea. Now, from the standpoint of material wealth and personal gain, Lot's decision seemed to be a wise decision. From the world's standpoint, this would seem like the right move. Financially secure, for his family, his daughters, and his wife. Chose the fertile fields and large wealthy cities seemed to be the right sound choice. But Lot chose the plains of Jordan. That word plain from the from the Hebrew is kakar, which means circle comes from the root word karar, which means to whirl in a circle or to dance. So Lot quite literally chose a never-ending downward spiral, a circle over and over and over, a dead end. You see, trusting the arm of the flesh and relying on your flesh will always result at first 
It may look good, but it always results in less than desirable conditions that often lead to absolute destruction. I submit to you today that Lot had already been looking in that direction. He'd already made his choice. Perhaps the idolatry that he had been called out of never really left him. Or maybe he never really left it. Perhaps his trip into Egypt did something to him that sparked some 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 interest or some intrigue that would cause him to end up where he eventually ended up. In fact, the Bible says that the plains of Jordan reminded him of Egypt. But I'm thankful that that trip into Egypt did not have the same effect on Abram. See, the Bible says that he went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had. He went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel. You don't get that now, but you will in a minute. Unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning. Between Bethel and Hai. Unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Abram said, I've made some mistakes, yes. I've made some not so right decisions, yes. I'm not perfect, absolutely. But I've got to get myself and my family back to the place of the altar. You see, it was this experience that would change his future. It was this very act that would mold his destiny unto the place of the altar. The Bible says it's where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Hai. That word Bethel literally means the house of God. And that word Hai literally means the heap of ruins. When Abram made the mistake and descended back into Egypt, yes, that was a mistake. But when he got expelled out of that, he did not go anywhere else. First to the house of God and then to the place of the altar. But then he didn't stop there. He went between Bethel and he went between Hai. He went between the house of God and the house of ruin or the heap of ruin. He went from the house of God and in, in, in between the, the world. Can you, can you see what I'm saying? He went from the house of God to his home. He went from the house of God to where he lived before. He put the altar back in his home. You see, his experience did not make him love Egypt. It made him want to get away from Egypt and get back to the place of the altar. Quite literally, between the house of God and the world. And I tell you today that God is looking for men and women 
that will put the altar back in their homes and institute this in the lives of their children. Because the actions that you take today will not only mold your future, but it will mold their future as well. The actions that you take today will ensure their outcome. The place of sacrifice is what he made, and that's where we need to get back to in this hour, but not only here in our homes. We have to come to the house of God. I want to come to the house of God. I want to pray at this altar and give my life to him, but it can't stop right there. It's got to be taken back home. The choice Lot made was an easy one, and that would seem to ensure his financial future for his family. But he looked at the situation with carnal eyes. Abram willingly accepted the less desirable land to the west in Canaan. It was hilly. It was rocky. And it was a more difficult ascent. But it was pregnant with promise. (laughs) You see, I got to tell you today that the road to promise is not always easy, but it is always right. Lot chose the rich soil and with corruptible seed, but Abraham chose the hardships and the glory with it, an exhaustible future. And then he ends up here, Genesis 13 and 14. I'm I'm closing, musicians, if you'll come. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that lot was separated from him, lift up now thine eyes and look from the place where thou art northward and southward and eastward and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram, hear me, removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. You see, this is not the same word plain as in the plains of Jordan, the plains of Mamre. This word here, this word means fatness, or most literally, mighty. Speaking as a tree, a mighty tree. And Mamre means strength or fatness. You see, flesh took Lot into a downward spiral. But the Spirit took Abram into strength and into fatness. See, this is where God is wanting to take somebody today. And I'm telling you today that it won't be easy to get there. But it will be worth it. From this point forward... From this point forward, from this point forward, you never see Abram again without an altar somewhere in his vicinity. Abram never left the vicinity of an altar. And if we're going to make it in this world, every man, every woman, and every child must have their own relationship with their own altar. You see, Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom and in the end produced two nations of people that were diametrically opposed to the things of God. He chose the fleshly side and produced offspring that hated 
the things of God. But Abram pitched his tent toward an altar. And he produced generations of altar builders that called on the name of the Lord. Let's, let's, stand, let's stand together. It would have been better for Lot to give up everything that he had and stay where Abram was. He could see that there was blessing on Abram's life. He could see that the hand of God was on his life. He could see that there was outcomes in his life that was produced by sowing to the Spirit. It would have been better for him to give it all up and stay right where he was. But he chose the flesh and went the way of the world. And so the question is this. We can clearly see that the hand of God is on this place. This, this is a sacred place. And you can look at people here that you can see the hand of God on them and on their lives. They wouldn't have made it 50, 60, 70 years if it hadn't been. But we can choose flesh and wind up in a downward spiral. Or we can sow to the Spirit and let God take us into the promises that he's already made in lives here today. I'm telling you that there are promises in this building right now that are waiting to be fulfilled if you'll just let go of the world. If you'll just take your eyes off the world and put your eyes on a city whose builder and maker is God. I want you to lift your hands right now. I want you to lift your voice right now. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray like you've never prayed before. Let's shout unto God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, lift your voice. Lift your voice, lift your voice, lift your voice. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.